Corpendium Spotlight. This is Jesse Werner, and this month we have a really special guest host for our Corpendium Spotlight. Her name is Ranjita Raghavan, and she's a PGY3 from Mount Sinai. She has been working with us here at MRAP, and she recorded a wonderful Corpendium Spotlight with Dr. Sarah Manning and Dr. Laura Bontempo on trach emergencies. So please take a listen. This month, our Corpendium Spotlight is on tracheostomy emergencies, and today we have with us Dr. Laura Bontempo and Dr. Sarah Manning, the Corpendium chapter authors. So I'd love for you guys to tell us a little bit about yourselves first. Hi, I'm Laura Bontempo. I'm an associate professor of emergency medicine at the University of Maryland. And I'm Sarah Manning. I'm an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Indiana University. Background. So before we jump into it, I want to get some background information on trach complications in general. So tracheostomy complications are actually really common. About half of uh, patients who undergo tracheostomy will encounter some form of complication or another. Unfortunately, the really catastrophic complications that we worry about are rare. Only about 1% of patients will have something really bad, but really bad things that happen are really, really bad, and they carry a really high mortality, some upwards of 90%. And an important thing for us to remember as emergency physicians is that more than 90% of these catastrophic complications occur after one week post-op. So they have enough time to recover in the hospital and potentially be discharged to their SNF or LTAC or something like that, or home potentially. And so when they come back with their catastrophic complication, they're going to land in the emergency department, not go back to the ICU immediately. Yeah. So please tell us about what the main trach emergencies are. One is a bleeding tracheostomy. The most feared source of bleeding for a tracheostomy is going to be a fistula between the trachea and the innominate artery. Another complication is going to be an occluded tracheostomy. So this is an obstruction of the lumen of the device, the the tracheostomy itself. And then another is decannulation of the trach. So movement or dislodgement of the tracheostomy device either completely or uh, something that can be more tricky, which is a partial decannulation where the device has shifted, and now the tip is no longer in the trachea, but is somewhere in the soft tissues, not doing anyone any favors. Bleeding trach. Each of these has a specific approach to the diagnosis and treatment that are outlined in the fantastic chapter you guys wrote. But today, we wanted to review the bleeding tracheostomy. What are the key parts of the history and physical exam you wanted to highlight? I'm going to jump in with that one. Any bleeding from a tracheostomy should get your attention, even if it's minor, even if it's stopped, none of that should be reassuring to you. If there's any bleeding from the tracheostomy, it must be investigated. There are certain physical exam findings, obviously ongoing hemorrhage. Well, that one's certainly going to get your attention. But there are more subtle ones, such as seeing actually pulsatile motion of the tracheostomy. If you can tell the patient's heart rate by looking at the tracheostomy moving, that probably means it's up against an artery and not where it's supposed to be. If the tracheostomy looks particularly low in the neck, which is unusual, but sometimes because of the reason the patient got the tracheostomy, it has to be placed lower than it normally would be. That's something else to get your attention. And again, if there was blood, pay attention to it. That's a finding in of itself that should get your attention even if it stopped. You are absolutely obligated to identify the source of that bleed. So you can look with your eyes and be really honest. Do you really see the source of the bleeding? You're not just convincing yourself that there's a little dried blood in there and that's the source. Or you can have the patient undergo a CT angiogram, 
or to the operating room for direct visualization. Don't ever let you or the patient or a consultant convince you that the bleeding has stopped and that it's fine because it's not fine. 50% of major hemorrhages will have a sentinel bleed. You have to pay attention. I think you're bringing up a really good point because more likely than your hemorrhaging patient, you're probably getting the one that had some bleeding or would stop very quickly. And we have to remember that that's not good enough to end there. We really have to go find that source. Right. You really can't stress that enough. It doesn't matter if they bleed in the emergency department or in the ICU or at home. Either way, there are minutes to save that patient's life. And if you're not forced to be in that situation, you don't want to be in that situation. All right. Let's say you have a patient. They've come in. They have some bleeding from the trach. And you see it's still bleeding. And you think, this is very, very bad. What are you going to do now right away? First thing I'm going to do is look at that trach you asked me and see if there's a pilot balloon on it. Because there's a pilot balloon, then I know that the tracheostomy has a balloon. And I have my immediate go-to, which is to put additional air into that tracheostomy balloon. So the idea here would be to try and stop that bleeding by occluding it with one of these balloons or cuffed trachs. Essentially, you're trying to tamponade the bleeding. The tracheostomy balloon, if inflated slowly, can actually hold up to 50 cc's of air. All right. So would you say that if you're not stopping the bleeding, you should go up to the full 50 mLs? Yes. And that actually will stop up to 85% of tracheoanominate artery fistula bleeds. So it is your absolute first go-to. I think that's a great point to be making. And also, you mentioned the fact that it's a tracheoanominate artery fistula. Seems like if there is a hemorrhage that we have to assume it is this. So then what are some other pearls for achieving hemostasis, especially if they don't have that balloon? What are you doing then? You can exchange that trach for an endotracheal tube or a tracheostomy with a balloon and then overinflate that balloon. So if there is no balloon, all is not lost. Switch it out, put it in an airway with a balloon, and then slowly insert that air into the balloon until the bleeding stops or until you reach 50 cc. Well, I think one thing that we need to make sure that we're determining really quickly is like the connection between the patient's mouth and their lungs. Is that patent? And so do they have a laryngectomy or is, you know, the reason they had their tracheostomy like a totally occluding mass? And then the other thing is how old is this trach? Because that's going to determine if and when we replace or put something else into this stoma, how we're going to put it in there. Meaning, are we going to just put it in blind, which we can do if this is a well-established stoma? Or if we need to do it under direct visualization, which would be the case if the stoma is relatively fresh, so typically within a week. Okay, so specifically under seven days is where we really need to be worried about making that false passage. Correct. So if we can get any history on this patient, maybe that's the number one when this trach was placed. So let's say you do have your disaster patient, the one that is hemorrhaging out, and you have started the resuscitation, ENT, you've called them up, they're driving in, but you still haven't gotten to bleeding to stop, even after you've inflated the cuff a full 50 cc's. What are you doing now? First, make sure that you're doing all of your resuscitative measures. So while you're controlling this airway, make sure that you've got someone on phone with a blood bank, you're giving your patient your blood products, activating your massive transfusion protocol, you're getting adequate access. As you mentioned, you've got ENT on the phone and you're getting them there as soon as possible. You're talking about having your aorta hooked into your airway. These are major. They're not subtle. 
if you have inflated that balloon and you're doing everything that Dr. Manning said, getting those large bore IVs, pumping blood in, pumping blood products in, your last heroic maneuver, which is truly heroic and I believe takes some courage to do, is to take that tracheostomy out and you attempt to put your finger into the tracheostomy stoma and squeeze forward. So literally you're trying to compress the anominate artery in your index finger, which is inside the trachea, and your thumb, which is on the anterior neck of the patient. It's called the Utley maneuver. It's a heroic maneuver. And if you do this and it works, you cannot let go. You are with that patient until that patient gets to the operating room. Doesn't matter what else is going on, not letting go. All right. So good to know. That is a very last ditch effort. And it should be that the patient is going to the OR. I think you also bring up a good point that this is the ideal patient to be basically starting MTP on massive transfusion protocol if they are bleeding that much. Recap. If someone came in and they wanted the one minute on what do they need to know about the bleeding trach, what would you guys want to say to them? Even if it stopped, don't feel reassured. Be vigilant about identifying the source of the bleed. And if there's a massive hemorrhage, overinflate that balloon. That's your first go-to maneuver. That was Dr. Sarah Manning and Dr. Laura Bontempo speaking with our very special guest, Corpendium Spotlight host, Dr. Ranjita Raghavan. And for more information on trach emergencies and the bleeding trach, definitely check out our chapter on Corpendium. 